following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Welcome to the program, episode 815 of I Doubt It Podcast. I am your host, Jesse Dollimore, joined today as I often and always am, indeed, the lovely, talented, and scholarly Brittany Page, everybody. Well, Joe Biden has COVID. Yeah. I think it's his first time having COVID. I think so. And he is taking pictures, letting everyone know. Oh, yeah. That he's working. He's fine. Rather than just like model good behavior that it's okay to take a fucking sick day. Is that what you mean? Not only is it okay, but you should do that. Like this is a public health messaging opportunity that he is missing. Also, can I say this? Photographs don't take themselves. And he's photographed with COVID, not wearing a mask, working. So you don't think they set up a tripod? <laughs> he's he's clicking away under the table with a, a remote control. Yeah, you, well, they have the, the setting on the iPhone where you can do the countdown. Let, let me, what, they gave him let, like a 15 right, second countdown to do. Let's do some myth busting here. <laughs> Official photographs of the President of the United States not aren't on taken iPhone? on a fucking iPhone. <laughs> Wait, wait a minute. Are you sure? You think Pete Souza was running around with a with an iPhone snapping pics of uh, Obama? I'm sure sometimes it was no, taken no. from an iPhone. I, I mean, I'm sure there are photos taken of a president with an iPhone. Yeah. But not for wide distribution. Yeah. yeah so-, I, so, yeah. Listen, let me also say this, completely unrelated to any of this. I mean, other than the Biden having COVID. Something switched in my brain where I was at, at no point until this very moment been maybe like, oh, shit, maybe I should be worried that he might die. Mm-hmm. I feel like we've got enough. I know I'm. Wait, you are worried or no, you're... no, I'm not. I, up until this moment, I had the thought maybe I should be worried. Mm-hmm. I'm not worried, but I gave it space mm-hmm. because when I found out, I was like, oh, OK, well, he's going to he's going to be fine. Mm hmm. Where when Donald Trump, I guess this is this also we're post vaccine. Mm-hmm. When Donald Trump got it, I was holding my fucking fingers that he was going to die. Well, he's Joe Biden is you know Cross, how, had my fingers crossed, yeah. not holding my fingers. What a dumb fuck. Joe Biden is fully vaccinated and then double boosted, and yeah. then he also immediately started the medication that I don't know how to pronounce. Pavlovid. Pavlovid. Sure. Pa- Paxlovid. Yes. Paxlovid. I think there's a V and an X. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. It's so, like Xerox. Why is it? Why is there a Z there? So he started. But then it's an X. He started taking that. I did have the same response that I think. Like, he's, ah, he's fine. Yeah, I think he's going to be fine. But what does bother me is that he's using it as a political opportunity to show that he is ready to go. He's still working. Yeah. That he's healthy enough to continue working with covid and i just think it's a 
a bad look. It's relatively minor. People are probably yeah. hearing me say this and think, uh, are they just going to criticize, criticize everything, everything about Joe right. Biden? And that's not necessarily what I'm trying to do. It's just I think that a lot of employers will rush people back to work or... Well, even the CDC's guidance is like after five days, just go back to work, even if you're still testing positive. It's something stupid like that. That might not be exactly what it is, but it's not great. Yeah, and I just think it's kind of the tendency in this country to encourage people to work to their grave Mm -hmm. and this is certainly part of it where it's like even if you're sick come to work i remember before covid it was pretty common to have people come Come to work work sick sick. in fact i remember a girl that i worked with in the before times she was visibly sick like to the point where i was concerned and she offered me a snack from her snack bag. And I was like, this is absolutely sabotage. I'm not taking a snack from your snack. Like she was, was intentionally trying was to, was it her me. first day? She had no idea who you were. <laughs> I mean, God damn, you know, people always forget about the germaphobe thing. They just forget about it and start treating me like I'm a normal person and I'm not a normal person. Yeah. We all have to remember that <laughs> everyone within the sound of your voice, save maybe a few uh-huh. knows Brittany that you are not a normal person. Well, and people get offended. I'm not prepared. People get offended by it, too. They think that it's a personal slight or I'm making some sort of judgment about how they, the person that they are in particular, is disgusting and that I don't want to be around them. And that's not what it is. Yeah, I'm... We've talked about this many times on the show, but it, it is very strange to me that someone would be offended that you don't want to eat after a double-dipped batch of salsa or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, well, hopefully, especially now. Hopefully, more people are on board now and well, COVID we, Remember, we read that, that review about a year or, and so ago where we were reading reviews of the show, mm-hmm. and one of them was, yeah, and she's so dumb, she thinks she's going to get sick from standing in line at a Starbucks. That didn't fucking age well. <laughs> Brittany Page, we've heard this many times, was right out all along. Oh, that's nice. Thank you for that. Well, it's, I needed that today. Did you? Yeah. All right. Happy to be here. <laughs> so let's start with a just one listener email we're going to read today. And I mean, on the note of positive things about me, it just reminded me of this email that we got because, Jesse, I think you're going to be very happy I think I, you're going like to be very happy. happy. So let's uh, let's hear it. Okay. When I was listening to Jesse tell his tale about how he got Silence of the Lambed, I was thinking to myself, what could possibly be so threatening about Jesse Dollimore? I don't know Jesse personally, but judging from all of the I Doubt It podcast and the Dollimore Daily videos I've ever consumed, Jesse seems like a kind, lovable human teddy bear to me. <laughs> I love his sense of humor. I love his smile. I love the sound of him chuckling at funny stories on the show. I love the chef's kiss that he does at the intro of every Dollimore Daily video, whatever it was about. Everything about him makes his content feel accessible and inviting to me. Wow. I see him as a genuinely nice guy who is only mean to evil people who deserve to be mean against. Like all of the Marjorie Taylor Greens, Donald Trumps, and Lauren Lauren, you, you love not being able to say what her name. What's the deal with that? Lauren Bobert. You the, just don't look at her name when you say and it. And the Lauren B- 
Boberts of the world. Lauren Bobert. Also, I feel like all of the injuries and deaths that are coming out of... We're transitioning to a different thing I now. know, goddamn. <laughs> that really took a turn. I feel like all of the injuries and deaths that are coming out of the overturning of Roe v. Wade that could have been prevented by keeping abortions legal are going to lead to waves of lawsuits from across the country. I hope so. And I hope they come in overwhelming waves that this 6-3 conservative majority SCOTUS cannot ignore until they reverse their decision that overturned Roe v. Wade. Or even better, nope. until Congress finally codifies Roe v. Wade. Yeah, that that's going to happen before they over... Then they reverse their opinion. I, don't hold your breath on that. I love the show. Brittany is not the best part. She is one of the best parts. The other best part is Jesse. All right. Yours truly, Celia. Celia! Yeah. And once again, if we did not pronounce your name correctly, please let us know. We don't want to be dum-dums. So uh, let's let's go to first the, the most important aspect of the message, and that is <laughs> about what a wonderful and giving, loving human being I am. Um, I would not disagree that I'm a fun guy. <laughs> uh-huh. I would not disagree that I am generally kind mm-hmm. to people. Mm-hmm. Unless you're a, a fucking maniac who needs it. And then <laughs> I also don't have a problem being in your face. But uh, the woman who was worried she was going to get silence of the lambed. And then it ended up being a situation where I was going to get silence of the lambed. She just looking at me. I'm a fucking Trump supporter. Just looking at me. I mean, we just had a conversation with a neighbor in the front yard. And... We always have to, like, we just moved from Orange County. We're originally from Idaho. And then, boom, we're not Republicans. Because we know we both look like Republicans. Something we've also talked about before. Yeah, you have a Republican face. That's yeah. definitely a thing. Yeah. And I look like a Republican because I'm white and blonde. And yeah. it's not great. And then you add in the Idaho and Orange County. Like, the track record doesn't look good. Yeah. <laughs> moved to D.C. for political reasons. Right. I mean, it just doesn't look good. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you, Celia, if we're saying the name right, sorry if we're not, um, you seeing me on the street, I mean, you know who I am. Yeah, yeah, it would be great. But some random lady, she's, uh, she wasn't feeling it. Yeah. But she, she did a, a risk calculation mm-hmm. and the, the risk of being silence of the lambed, uh, did not outweigh the benefit of having that barbecue carried into her into her foyer. So <laughs> she went that direction. Yeah, and good thing because it all worked out. It all worked, and the out. barbecue got safely in the home. Safely in the home. Anyway, well, that so, was nice. Congratulations! I like that. I like that some people out there, yeah, those who aren't sending me vile death threats, uh, that they they have a good idea of me. Yeah. Good, good, warm-natured, fuzzy feelings about Jesse D. For sure. So if you want to send in communications about anything that we've ever talked about on the show, wow, it's that's never back. too late. It's never too late. 657-464-7609 or I doubt it at dollamore.com. We do have some follow-up to get to before we move on with the show. And that is, on the previous episode, well... For a few episodes now, we've been talking about the case of the 10-year-old rape victim that had to travel to Indiana to have an abortion performed and how the 
right was using this to say it was a lie, that the left was trying to create a story that didn't exist. Now we find out that it actually happened and the right is scrambling to try to explain why they were calling a 10-year-old a liar. And one of the things that the Indiana Attorney General did was attack the doctor who provided the abortion to the 10-year-old in Indiana. We talked about this where he was accusing her of not having reported things in the past, that she is a advocate for abortion, and that she has a history of failing to do her job appropriately. Well, this doctor is now responding by preparing a lawsuit against the Indiana Attorney General. Tonight, the Indiana doctor who performed an abortion on a 10-year-old rape victim taking extra security measures as she prepares to take legal action. Dr. Caitlin Bernard treated the victim after the victim was forced to cross state lines due to Ohio's strict abortion law. The doctor is now laying the groundwork for a defamation suit against the Indiana Attorney General, who made this baseless claim. We have this uh, abortion activist acting as a doctor with a history of failing to report. So we're gathering the information, we're gathering the evidence as we speak, and we're going to fight this uh, to the end, uh, including looking at her licensure uh, if she failed to report. And in Indiana, it's a crime uh, for uh, to not report, to intentionally not report. These accusations about not reporting appear to be completely fabricated. Documents obtained by CNN show Dr. Bernard did, in fact, report the procedure as required by law. The story has become a flashpoint in the abortion debate, with Republicans initially very loudly and clearly questioning whether that 10-year-old girl even existed. Congressman Jim Jordan tweeting about the report, quote, another lie, anyone surprised? Another lie? Well, there's a suspect now in custody. The police say has admitted to raping the 10-year-old. Out front now, Kathleen Delaney, attorney for Dr. Bernard. And I appreciate your time again, Kathleen. So when are you going to take the next legal steps against Attorney General Todd Rokita? Well, unlike Attorney General Rokita, we are not going to make a rush to judgment or act rashly. We are doing our homework, gathering our facts, and doing the legal research necessary before we file a case in court. Moreover, we have to wait 90 days from yesterday's tort notice filing before we're allowed to file mm. the type of case that we're talking about. So we're, we're a few months away at least. And you're putting the time in to do it right. But, you know, that, that what Attorney General Rokita said, right, he said he's pursuing an investigation to Dr. Bernard, right, saying that, that she, you know, didn't report. Obviously, that's not true in the case of the 10-year-old girl. He went on further, though, to claim that she has a, quote, history of failing to report. What is he talking about? Well, that, again, is another unsubstantiated claim. Dr. Bernard has never been cited for late report. She's never been disciplined for a late report, and she has a completely clean license with the state of Indiana, and if he had done his homework, he would know that. Well, and he's the attorney general of the state. One would think before he made an allegation like that on national television, he would have just checked some basic facts. I, I find it, it it's pretty shocking. It is pretty shocking. Mm-hmm. Because in the clip, he said stated flatly plainly clearly for everybody to hear she has a history right of not reporting and then a few sentences later and if she failed to report well i i realize that he's talking about this particular case right but he didn't 
there was no equivocation there. He said plainly, she has a history, meaning she's done it in the past. Right. And the thing is, we talked about this on the previous show, how these were claims that he was making without evidence. And the thing that we focused on when we talked about it is how dangerous this is to go on Fox News. He was on with Jesse Waters. Another bomb fucking thrower over there. Making the rounds, saying these things about a doctor who is going to be a target and, in fact, has been receiving right. threats as a result of what Todd Rakita said on Crazy, Fox Crazy, vile threats against not just her, but also her family. Right. She's not alone. I know, Kathleen, Dr. Bernard has had to hire security in recent days. Uh, she has faced threats before, we've just learned. Someone had threatened to kidnap uh, her child. She had to temporarily stop providing services during that time. I mean, this is terrifying to contemplate. How is she doing? She's a very strong, caring, and compassionate doctor, and she's doing the best she can in difficult circumstances. And she has been bolstered by the incredible support from people all across the country and even the world, including a group of OBGYN doctors, including a group of lawyers and legal professionals. The former dean of my law school uh, wrote a disciplinary complaint and filed it uh, against Mr. Rokita. There are so many lawyers who are outraged because he's not just a politician he's also a lawyer and he's subject to our code of ethics and his legal license depends on his compliance with ethics rules so he's made this a bigger bigger issue than it needed to be and we just want him to stop bad-mouthing dr bernard and let her do the work that she's been trained to do and do it properly like she has always done so he's he's jeopardizing his own law law license. And by the way, we live in an era now where it is not out of the realm of possibility to have your law license yanked. Look at Rudy Giuliani. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's doing it for political reasons. Yeah, he's doing it so he can go on Jesse Waters mm-hmm. and make false, absolutely unsubstantiated claims about this woman, who by all accounts has done everything properly and with the care and devotion to her job that a good doctor has. Right. So we hope that she stays safe. We hope for the appropriate consequences for the Indiana AG. And we hope that he stops going on Fox News and saying things that are not factually correct, putting her life and the life of her children, her family in danger. And I personally hope that he just, you know, fucks off. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the views and opinions expressed by Jesse Dollamore are solely those of Jesse Dollamore and do not reflect the views and opinions of Brittany Page, who is a far superior person and much more measured and reasonable in her views and analysis. All right. Good job. So another uh, follow-up item before we... Does someone else need to fuck off? I mean, yeah, it's Joe Manchin. So. Oh, yes! <laughs> We're going to talk about Joe Manchin. <laughs> you might as well just get that ready again. So One time. Okay, we talked about Joe Manchin on the previous show, and he released a statement about how he was in the headlines again, standing in the way of Biden's 
stated goals and specifically the climate agenda, talking about his financial ties to coal that haven't influenced his views, that he has never strung the Democrats along. And of course, Manu Raju, always on the ground, getting the, the good quotes, was there with Joe Manchin and got the statement directly from him. If they don't understand inflation is the number one critical factor that we have that's hurting every family and harming our economy right now, it's inflation. And I'm very much concerned. I have never changed my position. I'm not stringing anybody along. All I said, can't we make sure that what we do does not add fuel to the fire? That's it. Come on, man. So he also said that he's worried about the person that can't feed their family. Quote, you can't basically put gas in their car to go to work and having a hard time paying utility bills. So I'm sorry if they don't care about that. I do. And he added this. My weakness is that I can't do much. Uh, wow, who knew? Yeah. My weakness is I care too much. He just cares too much. Mansion, I live on a yacht. He cares too much about My people. My weakness is that I care too much. Just too much Man. to be helpful to other people. That's it. There has been some bad music made over the course of uh, <laughs> American history. You love Papa Roach. Is that it's Papa Roach? It's is one that... of your favorite bands, Fucking please. yikes. All right. Speaking of other people that need to fuck off, that is terrible. Okay. One more time for posterity's sake. My weakness is that I can't do much. This just in from Joe Manchin. <laughs> Thank you for that, Brittany. Yeah. It's always good to laugh. I love it. It's always good to laugh. Here's the funny behind the scenes story about that is (laughs) I walk in the studio the other morning and I'm laughing to myself, staring at my phone, just cracking up because I'm like screen recording this music video (laughs) because I read this tweet about Joe Manchin. I immediately think of this Papa Roach line. (laughs) It's kind of sad for me. And I walk in, I'm laughing and you just look at me and you're like, Tell me what you did. You're so proud of yourself. I, I Just tell, tell me what I you did. Tell. And then I tell you, and you didn't find it as funny as I did. But here we are. So uh, if you'd like to become a fan, of, uh, a member of the fan club of Papa Roach, you can write to its president at P.O. Box 43231 <laughs> uh, in care of Brittany Page, the president of the Papa Roach fan club. <laughs> anyway, we want to know what you guys have to th- say about this. Let's get some uh, listener communication going, have a dialogue about this. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. I Doubt It is a listener-supported podcast. Support comes from our most loyal, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners just like you via Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as $2 a month would help keep the conversation moving forward one podcast at a time. If you have a few dollars to spare each month, we invite you to help produce the show by joining the Patreon family. Please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast. We would like to thank our new Patreon supporters, Blake A. Blake A. Corey M. Corey M. Joseph K. Joseph K. Hey. Thank you so much to Blake, Corey, and Joseph. We very much appreciate your support. We appreciate the support of our new Patreon supporters, our existing Patreon supporters, those of you who donate on PayPal, those of you who buy merch at dollamore.info, and 
listen, it's hard times. We get it. If you are not able to support the show financially on Patreon or PayPal or by buying the merch, listening is an important way to do that. Interacting with us on Instagram at I Doubt It Podcast, following us on Twitter at I Doubt It Podcast, at Dollamore, at Brittany E. Page, and liking the Facebook page and interacting with us there. All of those things help us and continue to grow the show. We love you guys. We appreciate you very much. Moving on. Stalemocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So let's talk about some good news before we get into some of the January 6th committee finale, season one finale, because season two is coming later. Yeah. The House voted to codify same-sex marriage in the in the House. The House voted to do that in the House. You mean the House didn't vote to do it in the Senate? <laughs> wow, they're really they're really mixing shit up. Yeah, you really. Well, here's what's happened: is I'm horrified that you said I'm the president of Papa Roach's fan club. Oh, it's sticking with you. Yeah, huh? and now I'm just completely thrown off. So forty-seven. Sing along to the track, Brittany. Forty. My <laughs> What I don't know about that clip is why he says, my weakness is that I care too much. Why not just say, I care too much? That seems extraneous. Uh, I think it's the art of songwriting, which you don't know a lot about, and Papa Roach does. Oh, right. See, (laughs) here we go, sticking up for Papa Roach. Okay, so 47 Republicans, surprisingly enough, (laughs) joined Democrats to codify same-sex marriage in the House. With court-given rights now in jeopardy, Democrats pushing to enshrine them into law. We ought to reaffirm it before the court overthrows it. Despite seven years of precedent on same-sex marriage, new fears after the overturning of Roe that the Supreme Court could revisit its 2015 marriage decision, leading to momentum to ensure they can't. Our country's history is that we expand rights, we don't go backwards. Yays are 267. 47 Republicans joined House Democrats Tuesday to enshrine the right into law. Now the Senate hoping to take up the cause. I want to bring this bill to the floor and we're working to get the necessary Senate Republican support to ensure it would pass. A handful of Republicans signaling support. This is an issue that um, many Americans, regardless of their political affiliation, feel has been resolved. So I, I think it's time has come. Public sentiment backs that up broadly and among Republicans. But that support is far from widespread in Congress. It's a pure messaging bill. I mean, it's obviously settled law right now. Other Republicans echoing Justice Clarence Thomas, who wrote that decisions on gay marriage and right to contraception should be revisited. Look, Obergefell, like Roe versus Wade, ignored two centuries of our nation's history. I think that decision was clearly wrong when it was decided. Some Democrats want to act fast on this, suggesting they use some days out of their August recess to vote on it. But our sources tracking the numbers say they aren't sure they have enough Republican votes yet to do it. So they need 10 Republicans to join in the Senate in order to do this. I want to jump back to what you heard. You said, fuck you, dude, or man, or whatever. That was Bill Cassidy from Louisiana. One of the more quote-unquote reasonable Republicans. Calling this a fear messaging bill and that it is settled law right now, which I love the key phrase right now because that's what they were all saying about Roe v. Wade. Right. 
So yeah. we're, we're in the exact same position. It's meaningless. And everyone should remember that when they hear that said, that this is settled law, this is a waste of time, which is what Marco Rubio said. Yeah. Well, and anyone who does not support codifying same-sex marriage is going against what the majority of Americans want. Because according to a Gallup poll from May of this year, 71% of Americans support legal same-sex marriage. So anyone who's saying no... This is a fear messaging bill. Bill Cassidy of Louisiana is going against what the majority of Americans support and want in this country. And there was another moment in the House that they were they're trying to codify the protections for 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 contraception. And this vote actually didn't go down the same way with a it's not a tidal wave of support with only 47 Republicans, but the attempt to codify access to contraception got far less support in the House. The House of Representatives passing legislation that would federally protect access to birth control. Now it heads to the Senate, where it is frankly unlikely to pass. The vote today, 228 to 195, mostly on party lines. But these eight Republicans voted with Democrats to support the Right to Contraception Act. The bill prevents state and local governments from interfering with a person's right to buy and use birth control. Once it heads to the Senate, Democrats need support from 10 Republicans to avoid a filibuster. Democrats say the Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas made comments that this that made this a priority in his concurring opinion that overturned Roe v. Wade. He said the court should reconsider past rulings that include codifying rights for contraception access. I want everybody to sit on that for a moment. Just just linger on that. The Republicans talk a lot about activist courts, and he is inviting cases in his concurring opinion, inviting people to bring cases that they can then accept and 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 ju- and um, rule on mm-hmm. in an effort to outlaw access to or. Uh, Revoke universal access for so different states can can make it illegal. Yeah, that's remarkable. And we're in a position now where only eight Republicans in the House mm-hmm. voted, and they they're kind of unlikely characters. Liz Cheney was one of them. Yeah, and Kinsinger, Adam Kinsinger, he was also one of them. So these are becoming dystopian times where the Republican Party through an activist court is rolling back rights that have for generations stood. Well, and what's wild is the bill actually affirms an individual right to access and use contraception, um, healthcare providers right to prescribe them and also allows for the justice department and individuals harmed by a refusal to get contraceptives to seek legal recourse And you heard Shep in that clip, Shepard Smith not being very optimistic when he says, frankly, it's unlikely to pass in the Senate. And it it just seems like, wait a minute, this bill seems very uncontroversial. And it also seems central to the stated goal of Republicans to reduce the number of abortions, Right, right? Because if you give people control over their reproductive health and allow them to access methods that would prevent them from getting pregnant at times where they are not able to have a child or want a child, then 
that would reduce the number of abortions. Yeah, but if we can't even agree because Republicans don't want to protect 10-year-olds from having children as a result of rape, we're, we're not going to agree. And further, to sprinkle a little criticism on the Democratic Party, even Democrats can't agree about abolishing the filibuster because that's what stands in the way right now. The filibuster stands in the way of women having universal access to birth control and stands in the way of codifying Roe v. Wade into law. I mean, it's dark times. Right. Well, and one Republican said that this is a bill that is, quote unquote, looking to solve a problem that doesn't exist. So this is their line of argument. You saw it from Bill Cassidy in Louisiana in the previous clip. They're talking about it as though it's a fear messaging bill, that the reality is not here yet, that these rights are being taken away. Which they would have said six months ago about Roe. Which they, yes, which they were saying about Roe. So it's it's settled law until it's not. Right. And we know, we know from what they've written that they don't want it to be, that they want to overturn precedent. Right. Ugh. Yeah. So anyway, we want to know what you have to say. Call in, email in. Let's talk about this. So that, I think, is good news blended with not great news, I guess, because we're having to talk about Republicans not supporting things that seem common sense. Yeah, Let's go back to that real quick then. I think it's also, it's a good news from the perspective of we are, we should all be working, not just those of us with a microphone in front of our face. We should all be working to wake up our neighbors and our family members and our, our coworkers and people we know waking them up to the realities of what is taking place right now because I think normal people, regular people, the average people are going to be mobilized to action if Mm -hmm. they realize what the fuck is going on. If they're woken from their slumber and they're ignoring of the news Mm -hmm. and they're going to start getting involved. Right. So now we're going to talk about the January 6th committee. Like we talked about, they held their final committee hearing, although this is just the finale for season one because they ended the finale to season one saying, we will see you in September. So they're going to be back in September with more committee hearings. First, I want to talk about the recent public religion research institute data about how many Americans are watching the January 6th committee hearings. Jesse, you may find this surprising. I was certainly surprised by it. I think it's quite low. Only 16% of Americans say they are paying a lot of attention to the hearings. Another 24% say they are paying some attention. 28% say they are not paying very much attention. And 32% say they are paying no attention to the January 6th committee hearings. Of course, when it comes to the Republicans, only 3% say that they are paying a lot of attention to it. Yeah, well, keep in <laughs> mind that th- those those ki- those numbers on the 32% side kind of correlate to what Donald Trump's approval rating was mm-hmm. for most of his presidency. So th- there's going to be this large swath of people who don't want to be tuned into facts that disagree with their particular worldview. Right. So, yeah, it's a bummer for sure. Uh, I am a little surprised about that. 16% or whatever you said. That's mm-hmm. that's not great. Yeah. So this hearing focused specifically on 
Donald Trump and his behavior, his actions while the insurrection was going on. Of course, he didn't make any attempts to contact law enforcement. He didn't release a statement, even though everyone around him was pressuring him to say something. In do some something. cases, begging him. Yes. And he refused until, of course, the damage had already been done yeah and and the the situation was starting to get under control when he finally decided all right i'll step in after 187 minutes of inaction right so we're gonna play a few clips that are just kind of the highlights i think of some new information that came out during the like we said the finale of this january 6th committee one of them was a clip of Rudy Giuliani, who was still trying to delay the certification of Donald Trump's loss, even after the insurrection. In this clip, they're going to play a message that Rudy Giuliani left for Tommy Tuberville asking for his help. Despite the violence of the day, the effort to delay the certification continued. That evening, Rudy Giuliani called several of President Trump's closest political allies in the hour before the joint session resumed. Representative Jim Jordan and Senators Marsha Blackburn, Tommy Tuberville, Bill Haggerty, Lindsey Graham, Josh Hawley, and Ted Cruz. We know why Mr. Giuliani was calling them, because at 7.02, he left a voicemail for Senator Tuberville, which later became public. Let's listen to just the start of it. Senator Tuberville, or I should say Coach Tuberville, this is Rudy Giuliani, President's lawyer. I'm calling you because I want to discuss with you how they're trying to rush this hearing and how we need you, our Republican friends, to try to just slow it down so we can get these legislatures to get more information to you. Mr. Giuliani did not even mention the attack on the Capitol. Instead, he was pushing on behalf of President Trump to get members of Congress to further delay the certification. You see, in the minds of Rudy Giuliani and John Eastman and the rest of these assholes, they believed that if they could postpone this a day or two, then it would be outside of some window and it would no longer be constitutional to go back on, let's say, January 8th or 9th and, can, and finish the certification. Mm -hmm. Then they could say, we're sorry. The Constitution requires it to be done this time. You tried to do it this time, and now it's up to the states. That's what they hoped for. With no concern, zero concern for the safety and security of the members of Congress and their staffs and their families who were in the Capitol, hiding, sheltering in place from a violent mob with murderous intent. Remember, hang Mike Pence. Where's that bitch, Nancy Pelosi? They weren't there for redress of government. The other part of the hearing that I found very interesting, although it, it was more of the, the funny moments that got a lot of the media attention, especially on Twitter, were the outtakes of Donald Trump giving... Taking an hour, it was reported by Caitlin Collins, taking over an hour to record this three-minute message wow. the next day. Mm -hmm. This was on the 7th of January, talking about you're going to be held accountable, and if you broke the law, the election is over. Oh, I don't want to say the election is over. 
And it really does, for a guy who wants to be perceived as this towering, powerful pillar of strength of just a weakling dum-dum who bumbled and fumbled through this message, at one point saying, oh, yesterday, that's a really hard word for me. Addressing the heinous attack yesterday, and to those who broke the law, you will pay. You do not represent our movement. You do not represent our country. And if you broke the law, you can't say that. I'm not going to. I already said you will pay. The demonstrators who infiltrated the Capitol have defied the seat of dust. It's defiled, right? See, I can't see it very well. Okay, I'll, I'll do this. I'm going to do this. Let's go. But this election is now over. Congress has certified the results. I don't want to say the election's over. I just want to say. Congress has certified the results without saying the election's over, okay? But Congress is certified. Now Congress is Yeah, right. Now Congress I didn't say over, so let, let me see. Don't go to the paragraph before. Okay? I would like to begin by addressing the heinous attack yesterday. Yesterday is a hard word for me. Just take that. Ah, good. Take the word yesterday, because it doesn't work with the heinous attack on our country. Say on our country. Want to say that? No. No, My only goal was to ensure the integrity of the vote. My only goal was to ensure the integrity of the vote. Don't want to say the election is over. And that last pound you heard was him sm- smashing the podium. Yeah. Over and over in frustration that he couldn't get it fucking out. But again, like at his rally in Arizona yesterday, he was talking about how he doesn't throw food and how he doesn't right. disrespect anybody. But we see it there. His frustration is coming out. He's hammering the podium. And, you know, the White House staff has to have Ivanka there mm-hmm. to be the 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 go-between. Otherwise, he freaks out on staff and screams and yells and abuses them. Mm-hmm. But he's not going to do that to the daughter that he wants to have sex with. So, Well, he wants to have a milkshake with her, right? Yeah, I would be dating her. <laughs> you know, because dating to Donald Trump is, is yeah, wholesome. Wholesome activities going down to the, to the soda fountain. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, indeed. Mm-hmm. So, again, Liz Cheney. Um, the star of this event, even though Adam Kinzinger and Luria, Congresswoman Luria, uh, were were the the main questioners, mm-hmm. um, she has done. I hesitate to say admirable job because all she's doing is protecting the country that she claims to love. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it is important to have those two Republicans on there because they're not. I mean, their votes line up like 98, 99% with Tr- Donald Trump and his agenda. Mm-hmm. They're not, they can't be considered rhinos or, or liberal Republicans. These are conservative Republicans, and they've, they've done good work here. Right, and some of the new audio that came out was a clip that was played of Steve Bannon illustrating that this plan was in place yeah. beforehand, that they knew what they were going to do because Steve Bannon says it himself, Trump is going to do some crazy shit. At one point in 2016, when he was first running for office, Donald Trump said this, 
I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody, and I wouldn't lose any voters. That quote came to mind last week when audio from Trump advisor Steve Bannon surfaced from October 31st, 2020, just a few days before the presidential election. Let's listen. And what Trump's going to do is just declare victory, right? He's going to declare victory. But that doesn't mean he's a winner. He's just going to say he's a winner. The Democrats, more of our people vote early that count. Theirs vote in May. And so they're going to have a natural disadvantage, and Trump's going to take advantage of it. That's our strategy. He's going to declare himself a winner. So when you wake up Wednesday morning, it's going to be a firestorm. Also, also, if Trump is is losing by 10 or 11 o'clock at night, it's going to be even crazier. No, because he's going to sit right there and say they stole it. If Biden's winning, Trump is going to do some crazy shit. And of course, four days later, President Trump declared victory when his own campaign advisors told him he had absolutely no basis to do so. What the new Steve Bannon audio demonstrates is that Donald Trump's plan to falsely claim victory in 2020, no matter what the facts actually were, was premeditated. Now, listen, this is one of those moments where we we can say, oh, we knew we knew because we did. We had a a very clear idea of what Donald Trump was going to do, because months before the election, he was saying, if we lose, it's going to be because it was rigged. It was rigged. It was rigged. It was rigged. He was programming the audience to accept that as an outcome. Yeah. But we didn't know. No. Now we know. Now we know what took place because this is way prior to the election. And they were saying not here's what I think is going to happen. He was stating as fact what Donald Trump was going to do in the in the wake uh, of the, the 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 intervening hours after the election. He knew Donald Trump was going to declare victory. He knew that if Donald Trump was losing, even he was going to say, "We won. This is rigged." Mm-hmm. Hypocrites, liars, people who claim to love and support the country, people who claim to love and support democracy, liars. Well, and one hypocrite that they focused on was Josh Hawley. And you'll remember Josh Hawley because during the insurrection, when the crowd, I think before they had actually entered the Capitol. Yeah, they hadn't breached the barricade at the edge of the Capitol complex yet. Yeah, he was walking in and he raised his fist to the crowd in solidarity, was excited that they were there, very thrilled, very supportive of that, as and, and, evidenced by his fist raising. Yeah, and testimony from from uh, Capitol Police has said that it actually um, invigorated the crowd when they saw him, that it, it whipped them into a frenzy. Yes, but unfortunately, he was also terrified of the crowd, as evidenced by video that they showed of him running. Now, yeah. we ha- don't have a clip for that because it's literally a video of him running through the hallway. Right, just silent running. But one thing that you <laughs> that you may have missed... I mean, I could play like the cartoon sound of like feet. But that's, you know... Yeah. So one thing that you may have missed if you were watching the live broadcast and not actually in the room is how the crowd responded to watching the video of Josh Hawley running away. In real time. In real time. So it opens with them showing the video. By the way, not members of Congress on the dais. It, it is the, the entire audience, press, 
members who are just, or people who are just there viewing who got a, who who are able to wait in line long enough to get a seat mm-hmm. eruption of laughter of what just cowardly frantic running from the same guy who threw his fist up like a tough guy like yeah i'm with you yeah and that's that's the point there has been some criticism especially from people like Maggie Haberman. And I think she does this every time there's a January 6th committee hearing is she says something to the effect of, wow, you really see who the committee has contempt for with who they're focusing on and what they're choosing to play. This is actually relevant and it's important that the people see it, that the same person who is riling up the crowd and raising his fist is then running away in fear of what they're about to do. That's important and relevant for people to see and for people to know. So it's not just a, oh, we're going to make fun of Josh Hawley and mock him. I mean, that's fun to do, but it's also important (laughs) for people to see it. Yeah, for sure. And he, he was, he was right to run because this was a scary crowd. And one of the things that came out of this committee hearing was more secret service radio traffic, specifically focusing on the time that they were working to evacuate Mike Pence and how scary things got. So scary, in fact, that members of the Secret Service on his detail were radioing to have other people who are off-site call their families and say goodbye for them because they thought they were going to die. As rioters were entering the building, the Secret Service held Vice President Pence in his office right off the Senate chamber for 13 minutes as they worked to clear a safe path to a secure location. Now listen to some of that radio traffic and see what they were seeing as the protesters got just feet away from where the vice president was holding. If we're moving, we need to move now. If we lose uh, any more time, we may have, we may lose the ability to, to leave. So if we're going to leave, we need to do it now. They've gained access to the second floor, and I've got public about five feet from me down here below. They are on the second floor, moving in now. We may want to consider getting out and leaving now. Copy. Will we encounter the people once we make our way? Repeat. Encounter any individuals if we made our way to the... the There's six officers between us and the people that are five... To 10 feet away from me. Yeah, I'm going down to evaluate. Go ahead. We have a clear sauce if we move quickly. We got smoke downstairs, set by unknown smoke set downstairs by the protesters. Is, is that route compromised? We have this insecure. However, we will bypass some protesters that are being contained. There is smoke unknown. What kind of smoke it is. Copy clear we're coming out now all right make a way and the other part of this that i think is very important to to understand is that there's a a clear delineation between the vice president's detail and the president's detail Mm -hmm. because they're doing everything they can to save vice president pence's life and their own and donald trump's in in intervening days in 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 subsequent days deleted evidence that we now know is permanently deleted, these text messages from the 5th and the 6th, and it was revealed during the hearings that multiple members of the Secret Service on that other side of the detail have lawyered up. They they know that they're in criminal 
they have criminal culpability here because the investigation into the deleted text is now a criminal investigation. So the question remains, and it's going to be answered, I hope, did the Secret Service have some role in helping to plan or aid and abet the insurrection against the United States government? Right. Very important, needs to be addressed, and if so... Not even if so. Anybody who deleted text messages needs to lose their fucking job. They need to lose their pension. They need to have consequence swiftly. Yeah. Well, one focus toward the end of the finale here was this, I think, attempt of the committee to anticipate what some of the criticisms are going to be, especially from Trump supporters, from people on the right, from Fox and Friends, which we'll hear later, is Liz Cheney specifically focusing on how the witnesses who were called to testify before the committee are not Donald Trump's political enemies. They are made by his own appointees, his own family, the people who supported him. And that brings me to another point. This committee has shown you the testimony of dozens of Republican witnesses, those who served President Trump loyally for years. The case against Donald Trump in these hearings is not made by witnesses who were his political enemies. It is instead a series of confessions by Donald Trump's own appointees, his own friends, his own campaign officials, people who worked for him for years, and his own family. They have come forward and they have told the American people the truth. And for those of you who seem to think the evidence would be different if Republican leader McCarthy had not withdrawn his nominees from this committee, let me ask you this. Do you really think Bill Barr is such a delicate flower that he would wilt under cross-examination? Pat Cipollone, Eric Hirschman, Jeff Rosen, Richard Donahue, of course they aren't. None of our witnesses are. So I think that's an important point that Republicans are not going to accept. A majority of Republicans believe the election was stolen from Trump. 538 is also tracking primary season, and they have said definitively that at least 120 election deniers have won their party's nomination and will be on the ballot in the fall. So the Republicans have to tell themselves that all of this is a conspiracy against Trump in order to protect themselves from the facts. To remain in power. Because there's no other way. I mean, this committee has laid out the case, the facts, the evidence. It's all there. It tells a powerful story. And if they are not convinced, either because they're not paying attention, they don't want to accept reality, they're motivated to not accept reality because it's going to keep them in power, whatever it might be, But this is what they have to tell themselves, that everyone who's sitting on that committee, everyone in that room, everyone that they're calling to testify, all of the witnesses, they're against Trump. Yeah. Even the people who, in the second term, it's one thing if you want to say Rex Tillerson, but not Bill Barr, not not people who were there in the second term, at the end of the second term. These people were diehard MAGA Americans. Right. So along the same lines, Adam Kinzinger, his final kind of wrap up in the committee hearing focused on how the forces that helped Donald Trump become Donald Trump, they haven't gone away. They're still here. 
When we present our full findings, we will recommend changes to laws and policies to guard against another January 6th. The reason that's imperative is that the forces Donald Trump ignited that day have not gone away. The militant, intolerant ideologies, the militias, the alienation and the disaffection, the weird fantasies and disinformation, they're all still out there, ready to go. That's the elephant in the room. But if January 6th has reminded us of anything, I pray it has reminded us of this. Laws are just words on paper. They mean nothing without public servants dedicated to the rule of law and who are held accountable by a public that believes oath matters, oaths matter more than party tribalism or the cheap thrill of scoring political points. We, the people, must demand more of our politicians and ourselves. Oaths matter. Character matters. Truth matters. If we do not renew our faith and commitment to these principles, this great experiment of ours, our shining beacon on a hill, will not endure. I yield to the gentlewoman from Virginia. So I thought this was good. I thought this was decent. Yeah, sure. One thing that confused me is that Adam Kinzinger came out the next day and made this prediction where he basically said that in 10 years, you won't be able to find anyone who actually admits that they supported Donald Trump. And that seems kind of at odds with sitting there and saying that the forces that ignited Donald Trump have not gone away and there's going to be more work to do in order to ensure that people are going to be embarrassed to admit that but here's his prediction I truly believe in my heart in five years maybe not five but definitely ten you're not going to be able to find a single person that admits to supporting or voting for Donald Trump in this country because they're going to be embarrassed because their kids are going to say you actually supported Donald Trump are you kidding me and they're going to be like no no I we didn't we didn't it's like trying to find a Nixon supporter a couple years after he resigned. Um, I had to tell you, your kids, and to my fellow Republican congressmen, stand up and speak out or your kids will be ashamed of having that last name. And I'm not trying to say that to be mean. It's just fact. Yeah, I I don't know how I feel about this. I've I've given it some thought. And I I don't think 10 years, but I think there will be a time that, you know, like we we see people who, who held up the, you know, signs in opposition to um integrating schools these racists these you know race mixing this communism that kind of bullshit certainly you don't find people who are oh yeah i was one of them and i just you know, they are embarrassed by it mm-hmm. but it's not going to be in 10 years cuz we're still going to be battling i think the the remnants of this dangerous ideology um it's going to get worse before it gets better And I think 10 years is an optimistic view. Yeah, I think it's too optimistic, especially when you have, again, according to data from the Public Religion Research Institute, 68% of Republicans saying that the 2020 election was stolen from Trump and only 15% of Republicans blaming Donald Trump for the events of January 6th. Yeah. I mean, in order for that 68% of Republicans, in order for that to come down, there's going to need to be some serious work and pushback from Republicans specifically. And when you only have Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger doing that work, and I mean, what other Republicans are significantly putting themselves out there? They're to, not. 
They're, well, I mean, even Adam Kinzinger has said that many of his colleagues have come to him and said they would they would love to be doing what he's doing. They agree with him, but they just can't do it. They yeah. can't bring themselves to do it because they're fucking cowards. They're all cowards. And the power that they have in Congress is more important than the the health and welfare of the country as a whole. Yeah. So we're going to end the show with this hilarious clip from Fox and Friends reacting. <laughs> Oh, reacting to the final January 6th committee hearing. And this is useful because it gives you a glimpse into, number one, what Republicans are hearing from places like Fox News about what to think of the January 6th committee hearings. But also, it's just nice to hear the dumbness and yeah. how like anyone can get a job in television. Including, I well, I, we have to drop the drop because we're going to hear from Ainsley Earhart. What about the country? majority? Okay, the majority. So tired of protecting the minority. And anytime she comes up, I want to I want to play that. Yeah, so here is Brian Kilmeade, Ainsley Earhart, and... Steve Ducey. Steve Ducey. I always get Peter and Steve mixed it up. It is... Peter's, it's very easy to mix them up. Peter's dad speculating on the goals of the January 6th committee. COVID. Yeah, so they're going to try to get this right up to November uh, and try to drag this out as long as possible. It is their mo- their strongest uh, political play is January 6th. Just I mean, keep in mind, everyone yeah. in that room, they're all against Trump. They're anti-Trumpers. Every single person in that room voted to impeach him. Right, uh, but there, there were some people from insiders that give the account, um, mm-hmm. the, the give the account of, of what happened. Yeah, right. coming to testify, and it's really uh, interesting because now the the schism between Pence and Trump is huge, huge gulf because they played out what Mike Pence was calling out and what the president wasn't doing, and that's why I think Mike Pence is running for president. There's he's a- actually in Arizona and he's trying to actually. I can't believe we're at this point. He's speaks during the Washington Post day. I was trying to separate himself from President Trump. There's an item in the New York Post this morning that talks a little bit about uh, the Secret Service agents who were with Mike Pence that day. Uh, when they were actually, they, they heard the people coming, they knew they were really close, and according to the story, uh, the Secret Service agents were calling their loved ones to say goodbye, because they were so convinced that the rioters uh, were going to kill them. And so they were saying goodbye. Thankfully, uh, you know, they didn't get to the vice president. There's no excuse for a riot, but remember the summer of 2020 when there were all those riots? Where are the hearings for those riots? For people, you know, burning buildings and burning businesses. You can't pick and choose which riot is the good one and which one's the bad one. You've done They're that. all bad, and they all need to be. All these people. Kamala Harris was raising money to get all of these people out of prison that that were thrown in jail for um, for rioting. So, and then you had Chuck Schumer on the steps saying to go after the Supreme Court justices, and a guy does, and uh, and is attempting to assassinate assassinate. Uh, um, Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh. So, you know, you can't pick and choose. We have to go after all the violent crimes and all the criminals out there. I thought Mark Levin had a good point with uh, Sean last night. What he he said the whole goal is to make it impossible for Trump uh, yeah. to run again. Sure. And that's the whole goal. Sure. Uh, to make that argument. All right. Uh, it is exactly 621. You here can't in the East. pick which riot you support and which one you don't as she's picking the riot she supports. I know. It's amazing. And I just, so what was Steve Ducey doing there? Because you have Brian Kilmeade talking about the schism between Mike Pence and Donald Trump, talking about the 
dueling rallies that they just held in Arizona yeah. for opposing candidates. And he's like, I can't believe we're at this point that he's separating himself from Donald Trump. And then Steve Ducey starts talking about the Secret Service audio about how they were afraid that Mike Pence was going to be killed, that they're saying goodbye right. to their families. While Trump sat and watched TV and for Brian, 187 minutes. Right after Brian Kilmeade's like, I can't believe this is happening. And then he explains, well... Like, this is why this is happening. I just, they're never on the same page over there. Yeah. I can't figure out what's going on. It's chaos. Well, he also admitted Trump did nothing. Yeah. Brian Kilmeade did. Yeah, he, th- some of his texts came out in yeah. the January 6th committee. So it is interesting to hear him talk about, oh, their goal is to never have Trump be president again, when he was critical during the insurrection of Trump's inaction. Yeah. As evidenced by his text just messages. Shameless charlatans. Yeah. It is it is insane. We would love to know what you think about this. Sound off. Let's have a conversation. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. We will see you next time. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore. This has been I Doubt It. My weakness is that I can't do much. One for... One for the road. <laughs> <laughs>